welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we're reading the second of seven books in the Children of the Lamb series by PB Care. We're covering The Blue Djinn of Babylon. For anyone who is new to our show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. Charles suggested this series and has read these books a couple of times. So I really remember the first book and this one. I kind of knew everything that was going to happen during this one. From here on out, there are a couple plot things I'm going to remember, but I knew exactly what was going to happen during this one. Like, I knew truly, like, every major plot point that was coming. So I don't think I'm going to remember as much going forward. But I really did enjoy this one, and I hope you did too. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this one a lot more than the first one. Like I said, I thought first one it was just kind of a lot being thrown at once a lot of exposition so it was like harder to like really dive into the plot at least for me but this one I did like enjoy more I feel like we were getting to know the characters more and like I said I am more excited because or at least I feel like I'm gonna feel the same way like I mentioned in the last episode how I felt with the Nicholas Flamel books like I'm happy or I'm assuming that we're gonna be following John and Philippa throughout the whole series and how they like grow into being like we are grow up into being Jin. So like I knew that I'm like not gonna dislike that part of it. It's more just like how fantastical is it gonna get? And so far, like this has been okay. I mean it does really remind me of the Nick Small books. Like to me it's very like similar like concept of like we're following them, they're getting their powers or whatever and they're like discovering more about themselves as they go forward. I agree. Obviously Obviously, this is a different story, but still, like, just similar, like, structure. So, I am enjoying it, but I'll go ahead and give a summary of the book. So, we have Philippa and John are now entering proper Jinn society, and they meet the blue Jinn of Babylon, Aisha, who's basically the judge of all Jinn. And this judge <laughs> ends up actually framing Philippa for cheating in the Jin Verso tournament and then kidnaps her with the intent of having Philippa become the next blue Jin. So then Nimrod and company help prepare John as he has to go into the underground world of Babylon to rescue Philippa before her heart hardens and she becomes the blue Jin. They're able to do that, but they find out that one Aisha, the current blue Jin, is their grandmother and Iblis from last book has escaped from the bottle they put him in and We, the reader, so John and Philippa don't realize this, but we know that their mom, Layla, is actually going to be the one to become the new blue djinn because she agreed to Aisha's terms, basically, so that Philippa could, like, be freed. So that's pretty much a general basis of the plot. So going to my impressions, like I said, I enjoyed this one a lot more. I feel like we got more character development for Philippa and John. And I also like the structure of this book that they were separated like halfway through. So we really got to see them shine as individual characters as opposed to just mm-hmm. having them together. So I really enjoyed that. And I think that's all I really have to say right off the bat. 
I feel like I'll get more into it as we go along. Yeah, so for my impression, I also enjoyed it. Though, like I said, I did remember basically everything. My main impression was that I felt like this one read better than the first one because, like we said, the first book is a lot of exposition. And it felt like the action all like kind of rushed in at the end. Whereas this one, I felt like there was an even arc of everything. It didn't feel like it even accelerated that much, which maybe is a backhanded criticism. But I felt like it. it's kind of the action is spread out more appropriately, which I found more easy to read. And really, I was just like, I can't believe we were left with such cliffhangers. Like, the ending is very much open-ended, so I, I, I was just surprised by that. But it, it makes you want to read the next one. Yes, so before we dive into the plot, Charles did give us some homework, which we remembered, so go us. But he said that we had to come up with our focus word, which is a reminder in this universe, basically, as a djinn, you pick a word that you're not, like, accidentally going to say, but basically a kind of covering all the bases word that's going to, like, be used for whenever you use magic. So <laughs> the word I picked, I don't even know if I can say this right, because <laughs> I keep pronouncing it wrong, but it's a bullient. Yeah, ebullient. Or, or ebullient, which I think was like the British pronunciation, which I looked it up, which I just picked this word because, well, I started with bubbly because I'm a very bubbly person. And so I was just looking for literally a synonym to that is like, but a word that like I would never say. And this is a word I would never say in speech. So I think that would be easy. Really? I feel like I use that word like probably once every like six months. Well, Charles is pretentious and uses SAT words, so that makes sense. But I don't. I use basic words, so I would never use anything besides bubbly or, I don't know. I would never say that. I don't know. Like, I was, and I was looking. For I those of us that like don't know what it means, it means happy and effusive. Yeah, like happy. Like, I, I was just looking at, like, synonyms, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this word. Perfect. Okay. A brilliant. Well, there you go. Mine is... A corin, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I think it's a corin, a e q u o r i n. Okay, I got it right. How do you? What do you think it means? Oh, I already googled it because I came prepared, but I mean, I didn't really look at it. It was like some sort of like periodic element or something. Okay, it's decidedly not an element from the periodic table. Well, there was something. I, like, glanced at it. What was it? It was, like, some sort of carbon or something. It's a protein. Carbon is part of it. It's a protein. Okay, it was something science-y. So I was like, I don't know what that is, but... It's a protein. Of course, Charles would pick something science-y, and he's going to have an explanation as to, like, how it somehow connects to his life. It's not connected to my life. I picked it out because at first I wanted... I looked up long words that start with the letter C, because my name starts with C, and because... Why would you want a long word? You have to be able to say it quickly. Not like a long word. Not like Phil's word. But like 10 letters, you know. Okay, that word's not 10 letters, so you failed. Well, I understand. <laughs> but then I, as I was searching, I was looking at the C words and I wasn't loving Only all of eight. them. You got a, and then, a C plus. Okay, can you give me a second? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was looking at C words and then there was a listing that was like words with Q and I was like oh these are gonna be crazy and 
Akorin, I looked at, I like that one, like, I like the way it was written. And so I looked it up, and it is the protein from jellyfish that makes them glow. And you're like, I glow constantly, so I deserve this word. I glow internally. I didn't say all that, but you can make that inference if you like. But Akorin, I know that was Charles' thought process. He's like, glow like me? Shine like a diamond? Yes, that's me. <laughs> okay, well, moving on from bioluminescence. Uh, the kids start in New York City, where it's cold. And I love that the author wrote, unlike human children, young Jin always want to go shopping. I was like, I don't know who human children this author has been interacting with, but I feel like children don't hate going shopping, do they? I don't think kids like going shopping, like, unless it's for toys. But, like, kids don't want clothes, like... Like, young kids, normally. I mean... I guess that's... I know they're, like, preteens, so. but even then, like, they're probably kind of right on the cusp of that age where you, like, start to care about stuff like that. So, like, as a kid, you're like, unless we're going to shop for toys, like, I'm not interested. Because it just means, like, tagging along with your parents, like, and they're just dragging you around the store, expecting you to push the cart, grab things, just using them. Oh, I always wanted to push the cart. I mean, they're using you as servants, basically. <laughs> that's what children are for. Okay, that's going to be in recorded audio history forever. I hope your children find this one day. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, like, from my perspective, like, being a kid, I feel like that's one of the benefits of, like, you know, your kids. And they're, ex- like you just said, you're excited to do it. You want to push the cart. Exactly. Well, since you mentioned cold New York, the children are kind of torpid because they are made of fire. So they're very low energy, like, while it's literally winter in New York City. And so their mom gets a gin doctor to come and treat them. And the doctor gives John and Philippa these salamander stones, which basically they can, like, keep in their pockets and it'll keep them warm, like, wherever they go. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I wish – I think we've mentioned this before, but, like, Charles and I both have heating pads and I live on mine. I mean, even in the summer, but obviously during the winter, it's an absolute necessity. I have it on right now, like, strapped – Across my body. I'm sitting on mine for the recording. But I was just like, if there was a way for me to have my heating pad going 24 7, like during the winter, like, wow, I would just be living my best life constantly. Yeah. I was in a dance studio today for work and the radiators were on and they were like at like seating level, like sitting down level. So whenever I had a break, I just sat on the radiator and I was like, this is the most amazing thing. It didn't burn you? No. I feel like radiator sometimes gets so hot, like, if you touched it, you're going to die. Well, we were at a studio location that I will not share for our privacy's sake, but I can tell you off mic, and you'll know exactly which radiators I'm talking about. Anyway, so the doctor is, so they go have this doctor, gin doctor, Dr. Zahatwata, which, you know, is funny. I'm sorry, doctor what? Zahatwata? Well, I'm sure her name is Soccer Tort, right? Soccer Tort? Uh- <laughs> um, obviously, it's Zahatwata after the Austrian-German, Austrian chocolate cake. Okay, so can we just take a second and think that if Charles wasn't on this podcast, we would have never gotten that information, because who knows that? Who knows these random Austrian- You've been to Austria? German facts. I've not been to Austria. You just made that up. Oh. I've been to Prague. <laughs> okay. That's not Austria. I know, but I, I, maybe if you associate that with But you probably had Zahatata there. You probably have, when you've been to Germany and the Czech Republic, you've probably had a dry chocolate cake, right? That's got a chocolate glaze. 
No, I don't eat. No, I don't usually dessert because I'm allergic to nuts. So when I travel to new places and in general, I just usually don't eat any dessert because often things have nuts in them. And especially in countries where they don't always speak English. Okay. It's the best not to try things. So no, I well, have not had this. Zahatata is quite famous. It's an Austrian cake beloved by... Also, you said yeah, it's a chocolate cake? Yeah, it's disgusting. Cake? I hate it's chocolate cakes. I don't like chocolate I, stuff. I love so. chocolate. I don't really love cake that much, but like, zahatata is truly the worst thing ever. It's dry chocolate cake. Well, cake is also And then it has the a layer of dessert, like so. apricot jelly between the two layers Ew. of chocolate cake and disgusting. then there's a thin chocolate glaze. Throw up. It's disgusting. Why would they put fruit with chocolate? Like, whoever did that, that's a crime. It is truly evil. the grossest thing ever, but this woman is named after this cake. So anyway, I thought it was funny. She's going to be around in future books, just so you know. And Please more... let us know if you knew that fact prior or you were also learning this for the first time because I just would love to know if there's other people out there who know these things Charles knows. <laughs> Zahantata is like a very, <laughs> also like it's a tourist trap. Like, I mean, locals do eat it in Austria, but like it's market, it's good when you land in the Vienna airport, there are like ads for it everywhere. And there's a big, well, I've there's never a big been hotel. Vienna, so I guess whenever there's I go there, there's a hotel downtown called the Hotel Zaha, and it's like famous for being the originator of this cake. Again, it is the grossest thing ever. Don't eat it. But every okay, listeners, let us know if you've heard of it. But you definitely have. Anyway, more importantly, her son Dibik is there, and he's going to be a main character moving forward. Right now, he's kind of insufferable, but. Just so you know, he will be around. And if you, you know, know any, it's Dybbuk in Jewish mythology is like, it's an evil spirit, right? Like, I think it, I think it's like a soul of maybe like a dead person and they like inhabit people. So it's not a great word to name to give your child personally. That was a rhetorical question, right? You weren't expecting me to answer that. <laughs> What? When you said that's a spiritual thing, right? That was a rhetorical question. Well, I wouldn't expect I you to know Jewish mythology. I definitely don't know what he's talking about. But again, <laughs> as whoever's on their Google looking this stuff up or is a mythology expert, let us know. I'm, well, okay. I'm 90% sure that Dybbuk is like an evil spirit. So, and that's important. Like, that's going to be important for his character. So okay, it's, well, I he's mean, he's already named. established himself as a villain, I guess, basically. I mean, he's still a kid, but a villain nonetheless. So, and that's because Dybbuk basically manipulates, or not manipulates, he tricks yeah, the he twins. Does. Well, I was going to say, same thing. But he tricks the twins basically into stealing some of their power. Because he's like, let's hold hands. Dumb. Even though they've already talked about it, they're not supposed to hold hands with other Jin because... They can steal your power. And so he, like, tells them, he, like, asks them to, like, wish him a game. And, like, the on the first try, they're, like, nothing happens. Like, it doesn't appear. But, like, they feel like their power's been taken. And they just do it again. And they're, like, well, that was weird. And I'm, like, well, obviously he stole their power to do something else. Like, we don't know what. But, obviously, something did happen if they felt the, like, power leave them. And we know that it couldn't have been 
Dybbuk doing his own power because he says that his mother put a binding on him, meaning he can't use his Jin powers at all. And it turns out that he used the power he stole to unleash a water elemental on his new stepmom that he dislikes. I'm really glad that you caught that, like, because we don't get that explanation until, like, a couple chapters later. Like, I'm glad that you caught, like, when the mat- when the Jin power doesn't work the first time. I knew it was coming, so I expected it. But I'm impressed that you noticed that. And do you want to tell us about the elementals? We might need to know about them later. I can't remember. So all that's we're really given on the elementals is that there are many demons that live inside of the elements. So that's earth, air, fire, and water. And the noble elements, which is spirit, space, time, and luck. Okay, great. So that's like pretty much that's pretty much all we get. But then because of this experience, we do also learn that when shaking hands, a djinn have to hold back their middle finger in their palm because their middle finger is like their access to their life force. So even if you, so like how Philippa and John held hands with Dybbuk because like their middle fingers were extended, he was able to access their life force and like steal their power. Whereas I guess if you like pull your finger back and like touch somebody, it it doesn't give the same effect. Yeah, I mean. Which I thought was, I thought it was interesting because I feel like, you know, like how we wear like wedding rings and stuff on your ring finger. I feel like that's always talked about. Like that's the finger that like the vein goes to your heart. Like, you know, so I would think of that as like the life force finger. But I guess it's like really hard. Well, all veins go to your heart. Maybe it's harder to hold that one back. But isn't that like a thing they say like about like the ring finger? I mean, maybe emotionally, but like all veins... Okay, now I'm going to look this up. I've definitely heard that before. Don't veins all converge on your heart so that they can then get pumped to the lungs because veins carry unoxygenated blood. And so the vein would then go through the heart to be pumped to the lungs. Either way, like, it's... No, it says, why are engagement swings worn on the fourth finger? The vein that supposedly went from the fourth finger to the heart was even dubbed the vena amoris by ancient Romans, Latin for the vein of love. Unfortunately, we now know that this ancient belief is not true. There is no vein that runs from our ring fingers to our hearts. So I'm just saying, like, that was like a, like a myth or something. Like, I'm not saying it's accurate. Sure. But, like, you've never heard that before? No. Again, since when I think of veins, I just think of carrying unoxygenated blood back to the heart and then going to the lungs. I think it was saying, like, it's one continuous vein, like, it ran from the finger all the way to the heart. Obviously, like, that it doesn't even make sense. So, but... <laughs> You're just like, just... the fourth finger that you cannot generally control that well gets its own private vein, but the whole rest of your body has to line up to get into the heart. It's like the vena cava. Like yeah, the I don't superior... know. But, like, that is, like, the idea of, like, think about it. Why do we wear, like, wedding rings? Like, why is that the finger, like, that's... And on the left hand, like, why is it that? Like, so I... I just remember, like, I've heard of that. Okay, well. That was all. What I was going to say is that I do like the world building. Like, I like the detail that, you know. But, and the thing is, like, they like that there's a way to, like, prevent Jin from taking your power when you shake hands with them. And the thing is, like. I wonder how it would work if you just, like, chopped your middle finger off. Like, you just took your middle finger off completely. Like, then would you, like, lose your life force? Or, like, would just no one ever have access to it? I think people wouldn't have access to it. But, like, it's not that they want to do that. Like, what if it's their Achilles heel? Their middle finger's like their Achilles heel. Like, that is how you kill Jin. What if they reveal that? <laughs> I don't think that's going to come up, but maybe. But it's, like, 
they wouldn't, the reason they wanted to give him some of their power, like the whole point was that he was going to steer the power into the video game. They weren't expecting him as, you know, a friend of their, like the child of a friend of their mother's, like someone that was let into their home to take advantage of them. So, you know, when their mom was like, you shouldn't have done that. Like they were like, we couldn't have visualized the game. So he was helping us like, and they do it all the time whenever they're doing things with Nimrod or with their mom. Like, they hold hands to steer, you know? I think she was kind of like, you probably shouldn't hold hands with a stranger like you're done with your family. But also, like, they learned from that experience. Like, they hadn't had that experience yet. So it makes sense that they wouldn't have, like, known to do that immediately. Exactly. And it's important that they learn that right now because now they're going to start, like, interacting with other jinn. They're going to enter Jin society a little more. So John becomes friends with the Jin called Mr. Vodianoi. He lives over on the Upper West Side. And then they go to the Jin Verso tournament where they meet a bunch of people, including the Blue Jin herself, who is like, she's like the entire Supreme Court for all Jin. Honestly, she's more like the International Criminal Court, like at the UN, because she's like one person and she's in charge of all Jin justice in the world. But she's one woman. She gets to make, do that all herself. And her name is Aisha. And at first we like her because we find out that the blue gin is always a woman because they're deemed smarter than men. And, you know, maybe the rest of the world should follow this philosophy. But a nice quote that we get about it is when Philippa asks Aisha, why is the blue gin always a woman? And she replies with, because on Earth there is a universal law that applies to both gin kind and humankind. When something needs to be said, you look for a man to say it. But when something needs to actually be done, you look for a woman. Does that answer your question? And I just thought that was iconic. Yeah, it's iconic as hell. Like, she's hysterical. And because she's so dry, like, she sometimes says things that are really funny. But, you know. Anyway. She's looking for a successor. And because I kind of knew what was going to come next, and, like, the way she talks to Philippa, like, I knew immediately, like, yeah, I knew it was going to happen, but, like, I saw the clues for what she's going to do at the tournament. Could you tell what she was going to go for, Asia? What do you mean? The fact that she was, like, looking at Philippa to be her successor. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, also, Philippa was, like, slaying. She was killing everybody. She was killing all the competition. Like, she was the best person there. Yeah. And I don't know if the whole point of the tournament was to, like, pick the blue gym, but if it was, like, Philippa was winning by a landslide, just outsmarting everyone. Well, it wasn't, the point of the tournament isn't, but it shows certain skills. And then on top of that, like she says later, she's like, then I gave you this quest, and even though you had been embarrassed, even though you felt isolated, you chose to do something selfless that put yourself in danger for the good of Jin society. And that was the real test that like she went on the quest afterwards. What quest? To go return the book to Aisha. Oh, yeah. So we can talk about that a little bit, but that's what Aisha tells her later when she's there. So anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So someone cheats, possesses Phil, and then admits to a cheating when she's like through Phil's body. Obviously, Phil did not cheat. Yeah, and I'm still like a little confused on like how this like how this was able to be done like we find out who did it in the end but like 
How did she do it? Do you want me to explain? Yes. So they realize that the person who possesses her, so she feels someone like another spirit come into her body. The person who possessed her was also the person who did the cheating because Aisha does this like gin power where she's like, you have to speak the truth and feels like, well, that's not gonna be a problem since I didn't cheat. But then the djinn who came into her is the djinn that cheated. So that djinn was not lying when they spoke through Philippa's mouth telling Aisha that she cheated. So, and that was all Isaac. So Isaac worked for the blue djinn. She put this plan in place. She had him do the cheating and then she had him possess Philippa so that it looked like she cheated. And then Isaac sends them on this goose kite, like on this quest to return the important book to Aisha and they're like we'll do it because one that'll help Aisha like forgive Philippa but two like it's good for all of Jin and then that's when like and basically later on Aisha says the fact that you went on this quest even though you'd just been publicly humiliated you do what was better for everyone else that is like, why I knew it had to be you. Like, you took the quest up even though, and it just shows that you put everyone else's well-being first. So, but, I mean, to me, the whole idea of this quest was so shady. Like, just so not believable that this man was like, the blue gin has lost her touch. She's gone crazy. She's losing her books. I stole them. Can you help me get it back to her? Like, that was not believable at all. I mean, I believed it as it was happening, like, I, I mean, well, because think about it. We meet Isaac. He's, like, saying he's got a problem. He says he stole the book. And, I mean, and Aisha seems a little pitiful at this moment. So, or, I don't know if pitiful is the right word. But, like, I don't know. The fact that, like, Philippa, like, I was not rooting for the blue gen at this point. So, I was, like, maybe she is losing it. Maybe she's old. And she didn't realize the book got stolen. So, maybe I was too gullible for that. But I did think when they started setting up the idea of, like, you had to trade on the train, like, that seemed shady. Like, that didn't seem... It seems a little bit like a drug deal. I mean, yeah. Like, not, like, a good drug deal for you. Like, you're going to get shanked, like, on the train. Like, I don't know. So, but wait. So, my only question, though, is with Philip getting controlled, like, how are they able to control her body? Was it because of the, like, stuff she touched on the box? No, it's because... She, because remember, Jin can like leave their bodies and either possess animals or other people. Remember, they did that in the first book where like they left their bodies and they went into those police officers' bodies. But like they can just inhabit like any other Jin at any time? Yes. Unless the Jins have certain like protections in place, which I think the kids will learn how to do. Like, like I don't think we ever have Nimrod get possessed, but I think it's because like he knows how to like prevent Jin from doing that. Yeah, because that's, like, mainly my question is, like, I just didn't understand how, like, that magic of, like, so at any time, at any point, somebody can just possess you. Like, they should have been learning how to, like, prevent that way earlier on then if that's such a threat. But I guess they didn't. I also don't think it's that common of a threat because normally you wouldn't need to possess another djinn. But. But why? I feel like if you could possess other djinn, you should just be the other djinn to commit all your criminal acts and then no one would know it was not, like, was you, you know? Maybe. I'm, maybe, there could be a plot hole, because I take your point completely, but so far we have not gotten any explanation further of protection, and I do not remember. But it could be that it's coming up, and I just don't remember. 
So before we dive into Isaac kind of double-crossing them, before they get to the train, they actually travel by whirlwind, which I guess is like this kind of like tornado almost of air that they're like an air bubble that they're traveling in, which is fine, except that Gronin, when he's on it, like mentions how there's no bathrooms. And I'm like, where do you go to use the bathroom? Because like they were in it for like over four hours. And like, I don't think I would be able to hold it that long. I think they could just lower the whirlwind down and then go. What about if they're flying over the ocean? You know, you just go out the bottom of the whirlwind, just into the water. That's nasty. And also, like, how do you get privacy? Like, does they, does, like, they, like, a second tornado Yeah, they can, like, separates? shape it. They can, like, shape it. Because, like, when they pick up Grown and they go and, like, they let down a staircase for him to, like, walk up into it. I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not the most perfectly designed system, don't get me <laughs> wrong. But never forget that, like, a couple years ago, J.K. Rowling released something on her website, Pottermore, about the Harry Potter world. Where she's like, Hogwarts didn't have toilets until like, us like, two centuries beforehand, before Harry, like before that, like the wizards would just poop wherever they were and like vanish the poop away. So what? And that was something that she literally wrote. Well, where like, does it go? Like when you make something disappear, like where does it go? Into nothing. But I feel like there has to be like a dumpster of disappeared. So there's just poop everywhere. That is so nasty. <laughs> Like, what if you made a person disappear and they just fall in this giant, like, bucket of poop? That's disgusting. Well, again, I think that you're asking a little too much of the scientific realism of fantasy books. But anyway, let's move on from the poop. Okay, now now we can go back to Isaac betraying them, which, again, I'll mention this planned to send yet again two 12-year-olds on a very important mission just seems idiotic. Like, for one, like, I feel like there really wasn't a good plan for, like, if Isaac was lying to them in the first place because they get the discrimin, right? Is that what it's called? Yes. Which, I don't know if we... Did they have these in the last book? No, they were new this book. So, discrimin basically are where... so. Since the young djinn, like, when they're cold and stuff, like, they can't have access to their powers, basically an older djinn can give them a discrimin, which is an emergency wish. So they tell them, like, a word to associate it with it, and then when they need to use the emergency wish, not only do they have to, like, they don't really have to remember the word because it'll just pop into their head when they're ready to use it, like, when the emergency presents itself, and they can just say it, and, like, whatever they're wishing will happen. So what we... What... They didn't realize, basically, so Nimrod gives one to Philippa, and, like, they don't tell John, which already was stupid. Why are we not communicating? Like, we're family. I don't understand why we're lying to each other. Like, if they would have communicated, this would have been avoided. So they give one to Philippa, but John also has one from when he saw the the neighbor. What was his name? Mr. Vodianoi. That guy. He gave him one, like, as a gift. So they both have one, and they don't know that the other twin has one as well. So when Isaac shows up and they realize he is turning on them, they both say they're discriminant at the exact same time. And for whatever reason, that means that they cancel each other out, which was so stupid. I was really mad at that part because I was like, this is just idiotic. Like, why did they send them? They're clearly not ready, and why did they not communicate? Yeah, it felt like an unnecessary cruel punishment for their discriminants to cancel each other out. Like, 
it was like we spent a lot of time building these up to only have them not work this time but whatever so now they know that Aisha basically put Isaac up to all of it like it was all Isaac Aisha's plan to capture Philippa and make her the next blue gin which at this moment when they found this all out I feel like they needed to call Layla because she's their mother. And I'm like, if you do not tell her, like her daughter, if her daughter daughter is captured for a month, her daughter will be irrevocably turned into the blue gin. Like, and her mom could do something, but like her dad probably couldn't do anything in that situation. But like, they needed to be told, like, this is their minor child. Like, by kidnapping. They clearly don't like to communicate. It was like, this is... I know. To me, I was like, that's a little insane that they didn't tell Layla then. But, you know, whatever. They have to leave it to one 12-year-old boy. So John is going to have to undertake basically an impossible mission that no one else has ever done by himself to rescue his sister from the most powerful gin. Yeah, that part was honestly kind of funny because exactly. Yeah. They were like, this is this impossible mission that's never been done before. And we already know somehow this 12-year-old boy is going to accomplish it. <laughs> Like, it's inevitable at this point. Even though it's never been done before, is this really possible at all? Doesn't matter. We know he's going to do it. And what do you know? He does it. So. (laughs) Yeah. But before we get there. Exactly. So. Basically, after Isaac turns on them, he ends up kidnapping Philippa and he leaves John on the train. Like, he puts them both in bottles. And he leaves John on the train. So Nimrod and Gronin. And And the dogs. And the dogs find him. And they end up finding Isaac. And that's how they find out about everything and how, like, Aisha put him up to it, blah, blah, blah. So then Nimrod basically explains to John that he can put this thing called a Vindicta on him, which is basically where, like, all Jin like... What was it? All Jin. All Jin from his tribe, which is the Merid tribe, have to like hunt Isaac down forever until he's dead. Honestly, that is insanity, but also like kind of a boss move. Like, way to have your tribes back. Like, if somebody has a vendetta against somebody, we all have a vendetta. We all hate them. Like, stand with your tribe. It's kind of like the werewolves in Twilight. Oh, for sure. So, John obviously decides against that because he doesn't want that to have, like, for him to spend the rest of his life, like, in hiding. But he does punch him in the face, which I think was a pretty good compromise because, obviously, not only did he traumatize him, but he had his sister kidnapped and taken away from him. And, you know, now they're going to have PTSD from this. So, I think he rightfully deserved a punch in the face. So after they do this, then they obviously have a bunch of steps they have to do to, like, get on with the mission. And they go talk to this evil guy. I don't even remember his name. His name was, like, Creepy. Oh, no, wait, not, not like... It was Virgil McCreepy. So basically McCreepy, Mr. McCreepy Pants. <laughs> he is, which the only thing I got from this whole section is that he's making himself immune to spider venom because, you know... Any book, they just have to throw that in there. Like, they have to make some creepy pants. Like, yeah, I'm obsessed with spiders. Like, let spiders bite me all day. Disgusting. (laughs) So that was a part of his character development. And also the main thing we get with him is, so in exchange for, like, the information, they get, like, the map to this, like, the underground Babylon and everything. They give him three wishes. And 
John does it, and on accident for the final wish, Mr. McCreepy Pants wishes that his son would turn into a bird. And so he turns his son into a bird, and Nimrod's like, wait, you can take back your other wishes because he wished for money and, like, a new roof on his castle or whatever. And he's like, well, if you take the other wishes back, like, your son can turn back into a human. And he's like, absolutely not. I'm keeping my money. Like, my son is ungrateful, which, honestly, the son was super annoying in the moment. So I was like, he deserved to be a bird. Like, I Not forever. Not forever, but we knew John. I knew John was going to reverse it again. Like, I think these were all, like, it was predictable. Like, I was like, John's going to reverse it at some point because he felt so guilty even though it wasn't his fault. And he does in the end anyway. But, yeah, so... That's that. They get the important documents and map from Mr. McCreepy Pants and go on their way. And so then John and Gronin and the dogs, they're going to go into Iraq because Babylon is what is currently Iraq. And they track down the secret entrance to Iravatum, which is the underground world of Babylon. That's where Aisha has kidnapped Philippa because basically in Iravatum is the old, like, Garden of Eden and like the tree of life and the tree of logic. And basically if she's there for 30 days, her heart will harden so much that she'll be beyond good and evil, which is what the blue gin is. So essentially by being there for 30 days, Philippa would become the blue gin. So they have to get her out within 30 days. Again, she's below Iraq in an underground cavern that is a magical, like, obstacle course that no one has ever passed and how, through it's, and it's surrounded by like this terrifying forest with like monsters in it also because the forest has like all the like wishes that people make like i don't know if it was like the bad wishes it's like unfulfilled like, it just wishes. Sounded like an absolute nightmare yeah it was awful. and of course they're like john the 12 year old hero is somehow going to manage this and like survive with ease <laughs> and that's exactly what happens yeah so yeah, no, that's exactly right. And they, she has to, he has to go by himself because Aisha would sense a fully grown Jin, so he has to go by himself. And then he can't even take Gronin with him because Gronin has to like stay and entertain the U.S. Army troops who are above ground, above the secret entrance to the world. It's crazy. Yeah, so it ends up just being John and the two dogs, which are his uncles, Alan and Neil, as dogs. So, but before we get into that part of the journey, before that, while they're, like, making their way to the army base to, like, go into the entrance, John is, like, having this candid conversation with this reporter, which was super suspicious. First of all, like, telling way too much information to a stranger. Like, I don't understand. Like, do you not realize you're on a top secret mission? Like, you're a CIA agent. You should not be talking to anyone, let alone telling them any true parts to your story. And this, he lets the lady take a picture of him. And she says she's a reporter. Like, I don't know. I just feel like he should have been more suspicious. Like, what if she was Jin? Or, like, what if she was, like, anti-Jin? I don't know. Just very suspicious. Yes, I agree. And then back to more grossness with bugs. Because John, this is still when they're, like, traveling through the desert, is, like, starving. And then he realizes that, I guess, Jin, like, eating bugs. Specifically locusts. Because, you know, how appetizing. So he catches a bunch of those, fries them up, and eats them. The horror. Disgusting. And then, because he ate these locusts, these locust demons that are, like, half-human, like, have... It sounded like they described them as, like, having human legs with the bodies of locusts on the top, but then with, like, 
facial features of a human. So just absolutely a nightmare. And they like attack them because they're like, you ate our friends, but they defeat them. But just nasty. Like that was so unnecessary. Like I could have cut all that out. Yeah, we didn't really need it. Like, what did that add to the story that, oh, now John likes eating bugs? Like, I don't know. I just, what was I supposed to take away from that? It was world building, but it was kind of gross. Well, I'm just disgusted, so. Meanwhile, Philippa's heart is hardening, and she can't help that. But, like, it's happening because she's in this place, and she discovers that Aisha is their grandmother, which I knew. Did you see that coming? I feel like this is the part of the book where you're supposed to <gasps> gasp, but, um... I didn't see it coming, but I also, like, didn't care. Like, I don't know. I just hated Aisha, so I was like, doesn't matter if they're related. She still sucks, so. She does suck, objectively. So now you can just be like, Grandma sucks instead of the blue gin sucks. But now, like, you know, some of the signs are like, you know, Virgil McCreeby was like, Nimrod, I thought all you of all people would know how to get in touch with her. And, like, Nimrod always goes super silent talking about her, and obviously... Philippa walked in on Layla having a conversation with the Blue Jin and they were arguing. And, you know, it's because the Blue Jin is actually their mother. So. I feel like this is something they should have told them. Again, miscommunication. Like, now it makes yes. even more sense why she was, like, targeting Philippa. Like, I feel like they should have been warned. But, you know. Pitiful. I agree. I guess like, the adults have to be pitiful so that there can be plot. Pitiful equals plot. And it's one of those things where, like, they didn't need to tell them that in the first book. Like, when they found out about Jin. Oh, by the way, your grandmother is the supreme judge of all Jin. No, I'm but saying it felt this like the kind of thing we were introduced to her. Exactly. Like, she was going to be at the Jin Versa tournament. They should have been like, this is your grandmother, the Blue Jin. And now, because she's the grand, you're the Blue Jin, she's not really family anymore. But, biologically, she gave birth to us. You know, like, I feel like that definitely could have been said. So back to John, the miracle 12-year-old boy who is somehow going to complete this mission. He's on his way, and at one point, both Alan and Neil, the dogs, die. And I was, like, shocked, honestly, at this point. I was like, they're really going to kill not one, two characters. Like, I know they were dogs, but it's been clear that they are their uncles, that their mom, Layla, turned into dogs because they attempted to kill their dad. So, like, these are real people just in the shape of dogs. And they both die. And also on top of that, right before this, in order for, like, John to get through the tunnel, he had to kill, I think it was, like, the seventh guard. And it was, like, in the illusion of his father. So it felt like he actually killed his dad, even though he didn't. Like, it was an illusion. But it was super traumatizing for him. Like, he went through with it. And then afterwards, like, the body stayed there. And he was really afraid that he had actually killed his father. So, like... Again, just lots of PTSD. And then on top of that, right after that, his two dogs, his only companions on the journey now have died. So now he's truly alone. So it just seemed like a lot, again, for a 12-year-old boy to be going through. And also, I'm like, this is only the second book. Like, how are they already killing characters? Yeah, it was, it's a lot of trauma for, like, a kid. And I forgot that the dogs died, but I was obviously very sad when it happened. Also, because how they die, basically... They got after they get smashed the, against the rocks. Yeah, when after they get through the tunnel, they have to get on this boat, basically, to, like, go towards where the palace is. And 
in the water, whatever, this like giant bird comes and attacks them and the dogs like bite onto the ankles of the bird and the bird gets blown away by a wind that Philippa sent and the bird the dogs can't drop into the water because the water's like boiling hot or something because again what is this world so they can't fall in the water so they're like holding on for dear life until the bird like flies to the shore and when they fall they like just collapse and like break probably all their bones and so at the time john gets them on the shore he's like they're still breathing but he's like i'll know they'll never get up again and then he lays there with them on the sand as they die like what kind of children's book is this? That was so traumatizing. Like, I'm sorry. Dog deaths are honestly worse than human deaths. So that was horrible. And not one dog death, but two? It's no, like the author. Was... It's like that review that I read last week. Like, the author's been writing for adults, and sometimes it shows. Yeah. So, but then after, after the dogs die, then out of nowhere, Finley, which is... Met Creepy Pants, his son, who turned into was turned into a falcon, just shows up. Finley the Falcon has appeared as if he's Dora the Explorer, like, where's backpack? Like, here comes Finley the Falcon. I just that <laughs> I'm not even kidding. When I read it, I was like, how the heck did Finley the Falcon get here? How did he get into Irovatum? Is that how you say it? Yeah. The underground world. How did this falcon show up here? Like, because remember, we're not on Earth anymore. We're underneath the Earth. We're at the Earth's core. And in order to get in here, he had to go through, like, this trap door. Like, I'm sure there's other entrances. But, like, is there? So, like, how no, did the falcon aren't. just... I feel like so the explanation the is that, like, there? he's, like, an unwanted wish. So he ends up there. But I'm like, that doesn't really make that much sense. No, that was only a plot hole. That was just like, well, he's got an, he's going to need some help. So let's just send Finley the Falcon. Backpack, backpack, where are you? I don't know. I just, I was shocked. I literally was like, what just happened? Like, we went from, oh, my God, this is an adult book. They killed the dogs to, boom, it's Dora time where we've got our guide ready to guide us to the rest of the way. Like, I just, I don't know. That was just shocking to me, especially, too, because Finley the Falcon, as I will refer to him, he's also, like, wants to be John's buddy. Like, he's immediately obedient, which, like, I still, like, don't really understand the world building of, like, when you get turned into an animal, like, you're just automatically obedient. Like, you have no resistance to, like, being turned into an animal. But I guess they're just, like, accepting of their fate. And I guess also it's the idea that, you know, they maybe ever by serving get John... Yeah, by serving John, he is hopeful that in return, John will turn him back into a human because it's established that for Jin, like, if whatever magic they put onto someone, the only person who can, like, reverse it is the Jin who did it. Like, another Jin can't come in and try to fix you or help you. But still, I was just like, again, the fact that, like, he appeared out of nowhere and he's just like, I'll do whatever you want. It just make it make sense. It didn't. It wasn't working for me. Well, I'm sorry. At least John breaks in and he gets Philippa. They make their getaway. And it was really easy once John got into the palace. Like, it felt a little convenient. Like, it was so easy. It was super easy. I mean, like, I mean, he gets into the forest and he meets, like, this ancient king of Babylon or whatever who, like, literally leads him there. So, like, we don't even get to see... Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, that guy. So then we don't even get... Also, like, because he eats grass and farts and, like, he has, like, toenails, like... I don't know, a foot long, which, like, I can't even imagine. Like, how does he even walk? I guess he, like, crawls on his hands and knees. I don't know. That was just nasty. But he leads him straight into the palace. He sneaks in. And I guess because ultimately, like, his overcoming is, like, talking to Philippa because Philippa 
is being like really, really rude to him because she's like hardened like a lot more, like it's progressed a lot more. So she doesn't even recognize John, which like I immediately knew because they show like Philippa walking and she says this boy came up to her and I was like, this has got to be John because she's like, he's all dirty and he mentions how he hasn't <laughs> showered. And I'm like, what other boy would be here? The only people here are Aisha, Mrs. Glumjob, her servant, and the invisible servants. So I was like, this boy must be John. But yes, I agree with you that like once they actually reunite, then they just literally like walk out of there like it was nothing. Like they escape, they have no resistance from Aisha. And then they just have to like outrun the wish monster, which like also wasn't that hard. Yeah. But plot twist, when they do get out of the forest and everything, we find out that Alan and Neil didn't actually die. They just turned back into their human selves, which, again, makes sense, ultimately, because I just felt it would be a little harsh to kill characters in only the second book of this seven-book series. And we do find out later on that this is because... Layla said that they would be dogs for as long as the dogs' lives were. Yeah, she had always done it that she turned them into the dogs, so when the dogs' lives ended, they would turn back into humans because, again, it just shows that she's truly a good djinn. She didn't do it, like, out of evil. She did it as, like, a very just punishment for what they did for their, like, attempted murder. So my only question, though, was when we come back was, did they age? Because, like, that wasn't really mentioned at all. And also, like, as far as aging goes... I think they aged, they age? if they aged, they aged in human years. Because I'm like, if they would have aged in dog years, they would have aged way faster. Well, but, dog years aren't a real thing. Dog years are just a conversion rate that we made so that we can associate, like, relative to a human lifespan, how long a dog But that's dog what I mean, was. in the sense of if they, like, their life progressed faster because dog's lifespan is shorter. But also more so, I, I more so got the the affect that either they age like normally or they like didn't age at all which i but they just didn't comment on it so i guess your assumption is they age how they normally would have also because like they've been dogs i guess you would say like the whole length of like john and philippa's lives right because they never met them yeah so they were like at least like almost 12 years if not like give or take a little bit of living as a dog but like that would make them near the end of their human life if they came if like if they aged at like a dog pace and they clearly weren't like within dying so i think they just <laughs> aged at human walkers. <laughs> i think they just <laughs> aged as they would who are you we're alan and neil you look terrible old. you can't get in this boat you From gotta get eaten as dogs no yeah i i'm i was just like i wish that would have been mentioned because i was just like how does that work? Because, like, I was like, then I'd want to be turned into an animal. Like, you could become immortal. <laughs> you get, like, multiple lives. I guess. So, after that, they're on their way back, and they end up reconnecting with the whole crew, including Gronin. And I forgot to write this down earlier, like, mentioning Gronin. But, like, when they first leave, he talks about how, like, he likes to eat baby food, I guess, because he's, like... I don't know if it's, like, he's a germaphobe, but he likes to have, like, the food, like, in containers or something, and he's, like, really picky about what he eats, or, like, I think he says he has a sensitive stomach, so, like, he doesn't want to try, like, the cuisines of all these countries are going to, so, you know, I don't know, instead of bringing, like, protein bars or, like, snacks, he's got <laughs> baby food. 
I feel like I read this like when he first mentioned it and like didn't think that much of it. And then when it was brought up again near the end, I was like, wait, he's talking about mushed up baby food and he's eating that? Like that's disgusting. Like I'm I'm sure it would be better than the bugs, than eating the bugs, but still like Oh, the texture. I don't like the mushy. That's so disgusting. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, the lugs might be... The locusts might be better than the baby food. Baby food smells bad. It looks bad. I mean, it's literally puke. Like, it's puke <laughs> in, a, in a jar. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, that's throw up. It's so Like, somebody gross. ate that and spit it out. Like, how else does it get mushy <laughs> and he like basically, that? Like, and it's kind of like... It's like a, like a little bit, like, British imperial racist. He's like... I don't trust the food preparation in the other countries. Like, okay. I don't know. Either way, it was nasty, and I just, like, didn't take note of it at first, and I was like, we have to talk about this, because that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So speaking of Gronin, we also get a very, honestly, embarrassing moment for him, because he's not at all suspicious of Montana Wretch, which is the reporter that John was talking to earlier that I said was, like, not a good idea. And, again, they're on a top-secret mission, and he's just chatting away with some stranger about what's going on. Like, obviously, he's not telling her everything, but, like, giving way too many details, using your real names. Like, have you never been a CIA agent agent before? Like, you need to be more secretive. And also, this woman is, like, asking way too many questions about what you're doing. Like, you should have had some red flags with her behavior. I'm like, you're not even catching this because she's like, oh, let me take your photo. Like, you're so good looking. Like, Gronin, she's lying to you. Like, I don't understand. Like, oh, men are so stupid. Like, simple flattery and you're just gone. Like. Yeah, that was so obvious. Like, it was pretty pathetic of him. Which, of course, then we get, thank God for Layla Gaunt, because their mom shows up and literally saves the day, because it turns out Montana Wretch is a gin hunter or something. What did they call it? Yeah, a gin hunter. A gin hunter who was hired by Mimi DeGaulle, which was the other... We didn't even she's talk a, about her, but, she's an, but she was she's another an gin. evil like, gin who really wanted to become the dark gin. I mean, the blue she gin. Wanted, she wanted to become the new blue gin, and everyone was talking about how she was in the running, but because she knew Philippa was, like, the current blue gin, Aisha's pick, she was like, well, I'll just have to have her killed so that I'm the only choice, which, um, I don't know, again, what is that logic? Like, she could just pick somebody else still, like, because there's, you know, thousands of gin, I'm sure, in the world. Like Also, like, but, I know, don't feel like, like, I feel like you committing murder of a child is not going to endear yourself to that child's grandmother when she's trying to pick someone who should be, like, fair and reasonable to be the next judge of the gin kind. Well, exactly. Idiotic. And even John, who's talked to this lady, like, sees her, recognizes her, and, you know, isn't immediately like, why is this lady following us? And is instead like, oh, this is my friend now. Like, let me say hi to her. Like, I don't know. Just stupid. Stupid all around. Like, clearly, they haven't learned enough on their missions. But anyway, she has, like, this giant gun that she's, like, ready to use on them. But as soon as she pulls the gun out and says, no, Vinny, move, like she's in a cop movie, the mom <laughs> turns her into a cat. Also because we get this, like, little thought monologue or whatever from Montana about how she's talking about she's a special gun, that the bullet's super fast, that, like, no gin will, because she talks about how when she's tried to kill gin before, if she has a gun that's too slow, like, they'll do the trans sub submutation where they go into the bottle quickly enough like so the bullet doesn't get to them so this bullet's like extra fast so it'll prevent that so then why on earth 
Would you announce, announce yourself shoot. before shooting? Which, you know, obviously that was a plot device so that the mom could do something. Because I was like, they're dead. She has a special gun. She's just going to shoot them. She's going to shoot them through her purse. They're never even going to see the gun. They're just going to be dead. But no, she says, nobody move. And But, you know. That was truly the most wild. Because we get this long like He's half a page about explanation like, about the gun. And I was like, well, all of the effects of the gun are undermined by the fact that the kids know there's a gun there. Like, you only get that fast advantage if they don't know they're being shot at. Exactly. And also because I was like, I guess even if she was like thinking that the twins were the only gin there, so like they wouldn't be, know what to do because like they're so young and like don't have control of their powers. But I was like also underestimating them. Like what if they did have control and they could have like, made you disappear like I don't know it just seemed again a little bit like okay we knew that that had to happen so that they didn't actually kill them but like a little bit maybe you didn't have to go so in depth about how great this gun was and how fast it was I agree well luckily their mom is there she saves the day she turns her into a cat for the family which I thought was amazing that is iconic which again, and then Philip is immediately like, well, now we don't have the dogs anymore. Can we keep this evil cat that tried to kill us? <laughs> again, where's the logic behind these decisions? Like, I understand it's a cute little cuddly cat now, but like just a second ago, this lady was literally ready to murder you. And you're like, yeah, let's let's make this the family pet. Let's bring her into our home. But I think it's iconic. Also, I think it's petty as hell that Layla sends cat food and the gun Back to Mimi de Ghoul. Like, yes, that was petty. Swing and a miss, lady. Try again later. By the way, your assassin is now my household pet. So, then at the end, we also get like a little check in with Iblis because it's kind of been mentioned that, like, which I guess we'll just say, I guess I don't think this was mentioned at the end of the book, but basically, Aisha had chosen for his punishment that she was gonna like send the bottle that he's in, like, in a spaceship to Mars or something for like 10 years. Which, uh, just so dramatic. Like, so dramatic and over the top. And even, like, everyone, like, Nimrod, Philippa, like, all of them are like, that's a little intense of a punishment. Like, what he did wasn't good. And also good. just, like, doesn't seem logical, like... It's not a great punishment because then you're not supervising him. Like, if he's so serious... Exactly. Like, if he's such a dangerous person that you can't leave him, that he needs to be, like, sent to a cold planet, it feels like that's the kind of person you want to be able to supervise. Yeah, you want to keep your eye on, especially because, like, even when they're in the bottle, like, he can talk to people. So he can literally talk to any human or mundane, as they call them, and, like, convince them to let him out, which is exactly what happens. And so, yes, this is where I do feel that, like, it showed that Aisha as the blue gin was getting, like, sloppy or just, like, not thinking clearly. Because it just doesn't make any sense why she wouldn't have wanted to hold on to, you know, this super evil gin that's finally being captured and just held on to him herself in her, like, many rooms in the castle. Like, while Philip is there, like, we find this one djinn who had been trapped in a bottle for, like, ten years. Like, why couldn't she have just put him in one of her dungeons, like, where nobody would ever have the chance to talk to him? Yeah. it would Like, it would just ensure that he stays trapped forever. It makes... Or as long as you would want. It makes no sense. And Isaac even says it. He's like, I think that sending Iblis to Venus was a punishment to scare Isaac into behaving... But it's sloppy as hell, like you said. Like, just keep him on your purse. Girl, put him in your purse. Like, put him in your purse and carry him around. No, like, not even in your purse. I think that 
keeping, first of all, in your scary palace that's surrounded by monsters in the forest where literally no one lives there except your invisible servants and you have it under lock and key that only you can open? Like, wherever she stores the book, why doesn't she store him in there too? Yeah, it made no sense. So then Iblis, of course, convinces a little boy in Guyana to let him out. So he gets let out. And we end with the all-important cliffhanger that he is out and about. And then, and obviously out for revenge, and Layla has now accepted that she's going to be the blue djinn, which is what, like, her mom, you know, when she was arguing with Aisha, that's what they were arguing about. Aisha always wanted her to do it. And now Layla has accepted that she will be the blue djinn so that Philippa doesn't have to. I thought this was horrible. I knew it was coming, but I was like, there has to be an explanation. There has to be a solution. Like, this cannot happen, right? Because, like, she can't become awful. Well, also, I was just like, why did Nimrod's friend, who he got to volunteer, like, not go through with it? I was a little confused on that. I know. When she's like, she could sense that Layla had already come to it. I'm like, And I was like, why don't you just say that you'll do it? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm like, if you want to do it, you could say, well, I would like to, but, you know. But I guess, like, the lady seemed like she didn't actually want to do it anyway. She was kind of like, well, if it's to save Philippa. But she kind of, like, got off the hook with Layla volunteering. So I guess. But it just means, I guess, at some point in the next book or so, they're going to have to find somebody else. Yeah, because the kids are not going to be happy when they find out. I can be sure of that. I mean, they're going to literally lose their mom. Yeah. So that's it for this book. Thoughts? I guess I'm looking forward to reading the next one. I'm definitely intrigued more into the story to see where it goes. The books are a bit long, but at least they're entertaining. Like I said, we get a little bit of Dora the Explorer. We get a little bit of stupidity. We get a little bit of horror. It's just a nice little mashup going on here. Yeah, look at that. Dora the Explorer. Who would have thought? Well, Finley the Falcon. Finley the Falcon. He's a human by the end. Which is... Yeah, he does get turned back into a human, so he did serve his purpose and was rewarded for it. So we're going to read the next book for next week. So if you read along with us, read the third book, The Cobra King of Kathmandu. And if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or, you know, you just want to let us know if you knew any of the fun facts Charles shared with us today, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiaboney on TikTok and at asia.boney on Instagram. And I'm at seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoy our show, make sure you rate and review our podcast, share it with your friends. Of course, check out the other amazing podcasts we have within our Nerd Party Network and subscribe to our show so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.